Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Jordan Jackson. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Jordan is someone that I've known for a couple of years. I somehow saw one of his Facebook posts and read a blog and just thought this is a great young man um, with a bright future doing wonderful things. Just by way of background, Jordan is a gay Latter-day Saint. He's 22. He grew up in the Utah, Davis County area. He works at a local credit union here in Utah. He's been there about two and a half years. And Jordan's just going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint and growing up and um, considering a mission, ultimately decided not to serve a mission. And it's kind of in this space at age 22 where um, he's trying to figure out his future, exactly where he fits into the church or what his path is going to be. And it's a story that's not done. We're just in the middle or early stages of Jordan's story. So it's not like this is a completed podcast. You're just joining Jordan in the middle of his life story. But he's going to share um, his journey up into this point and also some of the things he's doing, um, developing resources here in Utah to help LGBTQ um, citizens of Utah connect with resources. So we're going to talk about that. Um, is that okay for an introduction, Jordan? Yeah, sounds good to me. We started with a prayer. Often when I we offer these prayers before the podcast, it's that I'll ask the questions that help um, Jordan share the things that he needs to share to help you, our listeners, better understand. So tell us about life um, growing up. One of the typical questions I ask is, when did you realize you weren't straight? Oh, okay. So growing up, it was pretty... I would say pretty average. I was adopted at the age of three and I was adopted into a family that was LDS. So I grew up in a very LDS home, family home evening, scripture reading. I got my arrow of light and then I did not get my eagle because my ward at the time, it was just more they didn't make it super fun. So I was like, yeah, Boy Scouts, no thanks. <laughs> so when did I find out, when did I know that I wasn't straight? I think part of it, it kind of occurred in junior high. And funny enough, it was um, the Kelly twins. There was a, a set of twins in my junior high school whose uncle looked like Neil Patrick Harris, which is pretty great. And he was also the seminary teacher, which is funny, but... Um, and they were so cute. And I just realized this sort of weird, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to think this, but this is what I think. And I don't think it really affected me at the time. I didn't really absorb that information. It was more like, oh, I have, you know, tons of other friends that I'm doing things with. And so it wasn't really on my mind. And then in high school, I dated this girl for like three, the whole, all three years. And it was super fun. We, basically we're just best friends. So we'd go and we loved music. So we'd listen to music all the time. We went to concerts and plays and all sorts of things. And I think we always associate hanging out with someone of the opposite sex and going to plays and concerts and movies as dating. So that's kind of what it was. I was dating her at the time. And funny enough, at the end of senior year, I went, I asked her to senior prom with me. It was about a month and a half before. And a week and a half before the actual dance, she was like, I'm actually going to go stag. I 
have this project I'm working on and I wanted to like make my own prom dress and I was going to go stag to senior prom. And so I didn't want to tell you when you'd asked me, but this is kind of what's happening. And so it was kind of an awkward, like, okay, well, I guess I'll have to find someone else. And so after that, we kind of had this weird, like falling out. And so I stopped dating uh, her at the nearing the end of senior year in that area. And I didn't start dating men until after high school. And it was kind of weird for me because my family is LDS and I didn't know at the time. I had some friends who knew and I hadn't really started dating men. And so it was kind of this new space. And so I started um, downloading like, um, there's an app called Surge, which is like gay Tinder. And then there I had Tinder and just kind of like exploring and trying to figure out dating in this space. But also it was kind of weird because like I said, I didn't want to impose my family or cause them sort of issues with that. And so I didn't really tell them at the time. So it sounds, and thanks for just being honest with your story, Jordan. It sounds like this is just a journey for you. Um, and you didn't need to really confront it at this, at certainly at junior high and maybe even high school. Um, talk about, um, you just you decided to serve a mission. I'll just tell our listeners you actually got a mission call, and then just a few days before your mission, which was about three years ago, you decided not to serve a mission. Share with our listeners a little bit of that story. So yeah, I graduated high school, and most of the people in my age group they usually are starting to get paperwork ready and you know head off on their mission. And for me, I have a little stint with like anorexic tendencies. Um, in between junior and senior year. And so there was kind of this hold off. You, there's like a wait period. You have to wait until after like your last anorexic tendency spot until you actually leave. And so I was th- waiting through that and my bishop and my stake president contacted me and said, hey, we've got an authorization to be able to allow you to go. You just need to be cleared by a therapist first. And I said, okay. And so I went, did a therapy, the the therapist cleared me, and I was supposed to serve in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, got my call, got everything ready, had the whole farewell. So you had the farewell. Yeah, all of it. And it ended up being the Sunday before I was supposed to leave. Um, And there was just this sort of... this is conference Sunday, so your farewell wasn't... The Sunday before you leave. Yeah, this it was is like, like a week. The- it was like a month before. So everyone kind of already had knew what was going to happen. And it was out there. And even even on conference Sunday, it was the priesthood session. All the elders were there and they were like, ha, oh, Jordan, you're headed out on your mission this Wednesday. You're going to do great. And at the time of priesthood session, I was still planning on going. So I was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And shortly thereafter, um, sort of like personal issues and things had come up. And in my heart, I decided it wasn't right for me to go at this point in time. And so I ended up talking to my family, talking with my bishop, and I was just wondering, how do I tell everybody? Because I'm very active in my community. I like to walk my dog. And so it was just, I was like, come Thursday, I'm going to be walking my dog. People would be like, uh, wait a minute weren't you supposed to have left by now? And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to kind of rip the bandaid off. I don't want to tell tons of people. So I was like, I'm going to just post on Facebook and tell everyone, okay, this is what's happening. And I 
came out to my extended family a little bit before, so they kind of had a notice. And then on that Wednesday in the evening, I made a post and I said, hey, everyone, you're probably not expecting to hear from me. I know I'm supposed to be out serving mission right now. Some things come up. I am gay. I'm, I, you know, I have same-sex attraction. And I don't know all the answers. I know that right now this isn't the thing for me. There's a lot of stuff I'm trying to work through. So please bear with me. And I love you all. And this is sort of a journey. And so this is my opportunity to invite you to follow me on it. And we'll just see what happens. And so that was kind of how that all came together. Um, I kind of like your term there. In fact, I'm writing it down. Invite you to follow me on my journey. Um, that's a pretty courageous Facebook post. And just help our listeners understand, were you out, did you, were you out to your bishop or stake president? Um, did you talk that you were gay in the missionary application process? I didn't in the missionary application process. And that's fine. You don't need yeah. to. I'm just curious how you navigated that. I think I did to my bishop. And at the time it was, yeah, he definitely knew because at one point in time, my father and I had a little skirmish and he had found out I was dating men. And he was like, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're preparing for mission. And I don't think you should serve because of that. And I felt really hurt at that time. And so I remember getting frustrated and I went off and I actually went to the Bountiful Temple gates and that's where, because it was closed. And so I just kind of sat there and I was like, what, what do you want me to do? This is kind of where I'm at. And I, it was really hurtful to me because the church was always such a core part of my experience growing up. And so to hear, well, because of this reason, because you're gay, this is something in the church that you're not allowed to do. I think that's kind of where I first started to notice that sort of dissonance was kind of in that space. And so I, he talked to my bishop and I just remember that my bishop already knew because he was like, well, it's okay. He's not, you know, acting on it. He knows he's gay, but he's still following like church policy. So he's still allowed to go on a mission. So I, my bishop did know. I don't know if he mentioned it to the state president or not, but at the time my bishop did know. And it sounds like, and I want, pre, it sounds like even though you were quote dating men, you were not sexually active. You were following church teachings. And, yeah, at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, sometimes people hear dating men and just assume you're sexually active. And I've recognized that may not be true. Yeah. Um, and so you hadn't done anything to disqualify yourself from serving a mission. Uh, talk about, um, and it sounds like you were willing to serve a mission and just kind of go through that process. Talk about that Facebook post. So here I'm just thinking, uh, let's say I'm one of your Facebook friends that I'm, you know, I'm not an immediate family member. I'm just one of the people on your Facebook feed and I'm kind of aware you've had a farewell. Maybe I even came to your farewell and I knew that in a few weeks you were going to go on a mission. And then one day on Facebook, I see you're not going on a mission, you're coming out as gay, um, if that's the way I understand it. Tell our listeners about the responses on the Facebook post. Most of them were actually positive, which I guess didn't surprise me per se, but it was just interesting to see that there was such a positive reception. A lot of people said, you know, we're here to support you. If you need anything, let us know. In fact, one of my good friends, uh, friends who used to be my Sunday school teacher, she reached out to me and she said, Hey, I have this person that I know 
He's LGBTQ. He's still a member of the church. I'd love for you guys to come to my house. I'll prep dinner and we'll just have a nice dinner and you guys can chat and talk about it. And so overall, it was mostly warm. I don't think there was much like flack for it. I don't think I lost a lot of friends. A lot of my friends already knew, um, at least that I was gay and not it, the mission. I, most of them didn't really care whether or not I served the mission or not. And so um, overall, it was actually a warm, a warm response. I'm glad. And I've w- kind of tracked f- um, Facebook posts of people coming out and I I don't know if anybody wants a dissertation on this and measure positive responses versus negative responses, but it seems like more of these coming out posts, the majority of the responses are pretty positive. And I think that's really healing. I think some people would say, well, why do you need to come out? And I think that's just part of helping others to understand who you are and knowing they'll still love you if they know this part about you. And so it can often be really healing, as you know, firsthand. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to, to the anorexia. I can never say that word right, Jordan. Anorexia? Yeah. Um, it doesn't sound like that was a major part of your life like it is for some. Um, tell her, was that connected at all being gay? Um, sometimes I've noticed, I'm not clinically trained, some people that have anorexia, that's something they can control. And so, you know, there's a lot of things in their life they can't control. So the anorexia becomes something they control, their food intake. And so I've seen some situations where, and you can't control being gay or not. So sometimes people will develop anorexia because of kind of those different circumstances going in their life, but others don't. It's completely independent from their sexual orientation. Any thoughts you want to share with our listeners about anorexia? I think it was a mix of some of those things that you mentioned. I was kind of teased a lot in elementary school for my weight. And I think that kind of led Being to it. high weight or low weight? Um, a higher weight. Okay. And so I think that sort of led to more negative thoughts as I developed. And then you mentioned about not being in control. And I've noticed that after the fact. So after I sort of stopped my anorexic phase, it was in between like junior year and senior year. So it was kind of a shorter period of time. But after that occurred, I realized that when things were getting messy in my life, that was one thing, like those tendencies would come back in my life and I would think about those. And so I think that definitely played a part in it. As far as being LGBTQ, I think it played some aspect in it. As I was getting into my senior year and I started recognizing more that I was LGBTQ, but still not allowing myself to date men, I started noticing and comparing myself to other people in my class. And I think in culturally for gay men, there's a lot of focus on body image. And I think that also led into those feelings as well. That's really honest. And Sometimes I call that the iceberg, um, where you see something above the iceberg, like um, someone who's anorexic, and you obviously want to solve that, but sometimes to fully solve that, you have to kind of get the bottom of the iceberg, understand what's going on, the full backstory to solve things like that long term. So that's helpful for me and for our listeners. Anything you want to share kind of up until this stage, Jordan, this, we're kind of up to the stage where you decide not to serve a mission. Anything else you want to share in that journey or 
any particular people in your life that reached out to you during this time of coming out or not serving in a mission that just were helpful for you and things that we could do to reach if you could go back and sort of be 18, 19 again and say, this is what really helped me at this time, or this is what was not helpful. Any advice for our listeners? So to address people that helped me, it was actually surprising that I went to, had to go see a therapist for the anorexia because that same therapist I went to go visit after I came out. And I was just having this, all of a sudden as I came out and I didn't go on the mission and sort of this idea that I had for my life kind of fell apart, I had this anxiety of like, what do I do now? And where do I fit in the church? And where does all this come into play? And so I was referred back to that same therapist who actually worked in family services. And that therapist, you know, um, his name's Jeff Scott. And he said, you know what, Jordan? this is your life. And it's kind of this, we're just living on this sphere and we're supposed to just kind of take our flashlights and go exploring. And there's kind of this gray murkiness about it. And we don't know what's going to happen, but it's our lives. And he said, a lot of people think it's either, oh, well, you're celibate and you're, you know, living, you know, a certain, you know, a certain way and you're dissatisfied with it. Or people think that you're out, you know, using drugs or, you know, living the a crazy gay lifestyle. And he said, that's not what it is. In reality, there's sort of all these different options. He talked about um, some of Carolyn Pearson's books and how there's all these different things that can happen. He said, maybe you start, go, you know, being more in the church and you go to church, you continue to um, go draw close to God and read your scriptures and things like that. Or maybe you start dating men and in either situation, you have to decide for yourself what's best for you. And, you know, as you walk down these different roads, maybe you're like, okay, well, now that I'm dating men, I want to try this thing. Or um, I want, you know, I'm, now that I'm in the church, I need to see this angle. And he was like, it's kind of just this like self-monitoring and self-deciding um, journey that you have to take. And no one's going to tell you which is right for you because you're your own individual. And so it was really crazy to hear that from someone who was like a family services therapist, but it was so helpful to me because then I said, okay, because when you come out, you feel, sometimes you feel lack of control. You feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't, there's all this pressure from other people of where you should take your life. And so just to be able to regain back that power and say, okay, no, this is my life. And I get to decide where I go. And if I go down this road and decided to take a different road, that doesn't mean that I was wrong or that I made a poor choice. It was, I'm exploring. Life is a classroom and not a test. And so that knowledge was so helpful to me at that point in time. Um, I think that's really what sort of saved me was just, you know, this is your life and you got to make decisions and you got to make choices. And it's not someone else's job to tell you how to live your life, but you have to kind of figure it out and figure out what's best for you. I like that, Jordan. Um, I think of that and I think um, sometimes when my vision of your life is pretty firm, if I'm a person in your life, that sometimes I recognize people will then choose just the opposite <laughs> as a kind of a reaction to somebody who's pretty 
um, directive on your path. And I've found for some personalities, um, taking that pressure off leads to better decisions and decisions based on their own personal sort of revelation of what's right for them. I think our listeners know I invite everybody to stay in the church, but I sort of don't demand it. I don't command it. I don't make my friendship with you conditional on that um, because I just recognize life for an LGBTQ person is unique. And and so I honor our doctrine of personal revelation, and you have to kind of self-determine the right path for you. And I found that perhaps LGBTQ people do better when they feel empowered um, to, to really own that. And I found sometimes they do make better decisions um, and they stay closer with God and God's involved in their life as they make their way forward. Is that, re- is that okay? Yeah. Anything is, I don't want to my, make my feelings be your story. No, that sounds perfect. I think I've definitely seen that as well. Just when people have that power, they can, they feel more approachable to God. It feels like if you take that pressure from the church off, you take that pressure from, um, like I said, there's sort of pressure from both sides. And so there's people who say, oh, well, why are you staying in the church? Because um, you know, you're gay and they don't accept you. And there's people in the church saying, oh, well, you need to be more in the church. And when you just take that pressure off, it's just so freeing to be able to say, okay, I can decide where I want our relationship with God to be. And you, I think you tend to focus more at that point in time on Jesus Christ and God rather than the church, at least for some. And at least that's what it was for me. And I think that was very beneficial because you sort of get to know your own beliefs. And I think most of the doctrine that church teaches is true. I have a testimony that like the church teaches amazing things. I love the fact that there's, we don't teach hell. Like there's no, there's not a heaven and hell. And I think that's, unfortunately, sometimes we, in our culture, think of it's celestial kingdom or bust. You know, if you're not making the perfect life, you missed out, which to some extent is true. um, If you're believing in that, that's the highest degree of glory. But at the same time, you have to think that, you know, these other lower kingdoms, the terrestrial and celestial kingdom, they're somewhere more beautiful than some of the most beautiful places on earth. And I just think to myself, wow, isn't that great? Like that, you know, even if you didn't do everything perfect, like the church teaches the celestial law, the celestial way, but even if you don't obtain that or whatever happens, you're going to be happy. You're going to be in a place. I remember being at um, an LGBTQ Sunday school and someone said, if this is my heaven, like if this is, if I end up with all you guys, no matter where that is in the grand scheme of things, I'm going to be happy. If they're like, we're going to, you know, be up there having a party. It's going to be, you know, rainbows and unicorns. It's going to be great. And I love it. And I thought the same thing. I was like, these are my people. These are who I found connection and friendship and love. And if that's my afterlife, then I'm set. I love that. Thank you, Jordan. Talk, have you ever, this is a question that's spontaneous. I don't know if you have an answer to it. Some, have you ever gone to God and asked him why you're gay? Why he created you gay? I actually haven't. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but it's definitely an interesting question. I've definitely heard different s- stories and things and people's perspectives. Some people are say, oh, well, it's 
Um, some people look at it as a way to help people love other people more, um, which I think is a really beautiful concept. So we, I think that God wants us to choose love and to love our neighbor, whether they're LGBTQ, whether they're, um, you know, whatever their walk of life is, that we are to love them. And this seems to be a very, at times, polarizing issue for people. And so it kind of gives that and just another opportunity to love your neighbor. So whether or not your neighbor was a drug addict or, you know, had all these different things, like no matter what it is, we're to love our neighbor. And that's just another aspect of humanity. And I think, again, it's an aspect of humanity. It's something that just occurs and it's not like at fault for any reason, but it gives people the chance to choose love. And so I like that perspective. I love that. And for our listeners, the interaction I've had with Jordan, um, my impressions, this is a really good guy with great Christ-like attributes, attributes around empathy, compassion, understanding, bridge building. Um, and so I recognize that a lot of the things in Preach My Gospel um, that talk about developing Christ-like attributes are things that are kind of hardwired into you. And I've noticed that at times with my LGBTQ friends. I also recognize something you said that, um, you know, straight Latter-day Saints, there's not these two sides sort of pulling on them saying, this is how you do being straight as a Latter-day Saint. You just go on your way and no one's sort of looking over your shoulder saying you're not doing it right or you should do it this way. But you kind of talked about that. He says, if you're a gay Latter-day Saint, you've got... I'm sort of putting two voices on either side of your shoulder for yeah. our listeners. And you sort of talked about, you know, well, you've got to leave the church and this is how you do that. And then another voice saying, this is how you do it if you stay in the church. And I just recognize the challenge, the kind of the added burden that potentially adds to you is you have all these voices around you saying, this is how you do it. And my general advice is, you know, some of those voices are helpful if they give help you have better personal revelation and make more informed decisions. But if they're voices that are sort of pulling you one way, saying this is how you need to do it, or you're not authentic unless you do it this way, you're not really. And so I think every person's got to find their path on that and and find boundaries where some of those voices may not be helpful for your own personal journey. And I invite people to go pretty slow, which I sense you're doing because you haven't really said if I'm exactly how your life's going to turn out, you know. And so I think that's really thoughtful is just go slow, really work on making yourself the very best you can be, your relationship with God and making informed decisions, but trying to make that based on what's right for you versus another voice that's around you. Thought More thoughts on that? I don't think so. It's right okay. Now. Yeah. Talk about um, your station today with the church. Do you go to church, not go to church? I go to church on occasion. Usually I'll go for at least sacrament meeting. Um, and then at times I'll leave after sacrament meeting. Sometimes I'll stay for the extra block. Um, it just depends. Do you There's go to a singles ward, a home ward, or a kind singles of mixed ward. singles yeah. ward? So it was good. I... Almost liked my old home ward, but I think it's mostly because I still haven't integrated very well to the singles ward yet. So, um, I don't know. It's been interesting. I, my bishop is good. He at least hasn't been 
negative towards me about it. We've had, he's aware of my situation and we've kind of discussed some things. Um, I think I'm one who I'm not angry with the church. There are things that anger me at some points in time. But like I said, overall, I think there's a lot of good things that are taught in our gospel and there's a lot of love. I think it's one of the most loving religions. Um, and that's there for a reason because God is love. And so that might stir up some feelings in others. And I think where I have a personal dissonance with the church is their stance on LGBTQ people. And to me, I'm validated in my belief in that. And um, I think it's all about, again, it's all about love. So whether someone else disagrees with you on that stance or someone agrees with you, you have to kind of take it in that scope of love and be able to say, okay, well, we can still love each other and disagree on things. Um, but overall, I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm not super active, but I'm also not completely stepped away from the church. It's a good answer. And I admire you. It, it's a, that's a complicated road to be in. In some ways, it's almost, in a, it's almost easier to completely step away and, or to completely be in. So I don't look at it as a sign of weakness where you are. I just look at it as a sign as reality of your situation and trying to do the best you can. And you have my support. Um, and I, I like your nuance. I like the way you see good in the church, but you also have pain. And I've learned, I've learned to honor other people's pain. I don't think that means to honor your pain or to listen to the things that you don't feel good about or disagree with the church is a committed Latter-day Saint. To me, that's just part of my baptism covenants, not dismiss that, even if I don't feel the same way. And it, to me, it usually doesn't drive a wedge between you and the church greater to validate your feelings. In my experiences, it usually can bring more peace that someone honors how you feel and tries to really empathize with you for feeling that way. Yeah. Um, we can mint a lot of angry former Mormons the way we treat them sometimes. Um, and I recognize that in a, this effort of trying to build bridges, even with people that step away, if we humanize them and honor their path and and try not to point to them as the reason the world's going downhill or the tears or you're rolling your eyes, rightly so, because <laughs> you've heard these, I just think that creates more divisiveness unneeded divisiveness um, because I recognize most of us are trying to do the best we can. Yeah. Um, Talk about, um, I want to talk about, I had a question that came to mind. This is another question. I wonder how you feel about if you could, if, if I were in your ward and wanted to fully use your gifts to build the ward how would you love to serve if, if I could say, you know, we need you in the ward and we recognize you have gifts that help us be a better ward. What would be some of the things that you would like to do in a ward to help a ward be a better ward? Would you like to give a talk? Would you like to serve in a certain way? Would you like to create a culture that's a little different? Anything that comes to mind that kind of gifts you have that you feel are maybe a little untapped that could actually help a ward? So there's two things that I thought of while you were talking. The first was, well, I've been working a lot. So my great grandmother, she 
is turning 90 this year and she fell um, last month. And so I've been kind of working with her. We took her to the emergency room um, about a month ago and she was doing fine. But in most recently, she's had some fractures. So one above her tailbone and one on her femur. And so it's been difficult for her to move about and kind of um, take care of herself. And so I've been, I live with my great grandmother. And so I've been there to kind of help her. And I loved that I could contact her ward and they had people who did like compassionate service. Um, And so just like a service aspect like that, because I was talking with them and talking with the Riverside president, talking with, you know, different people and just being able to like coordinate service efforts, I think would be a great thing that I could do. I like to, I love helping people and to be, and I think I'm good at sort of managing time and spaces and trying to figure out what people's needs are so we can better help them. And so something in like a compassionate service or service area, I think would be great. And the other thing you mentioned is teaching or like a talk of some sort. And I taught a lesson at LGBTQ Sunday school. Um, a while ago and it was on virtue and virtuous living. And I started off and I was like, okay, everybody, you know, we're going to talk about virtue today. And I was like, I know it's everyone's favorite topic to talk about. And instead of talking about, you know, morality and, you know, purity and things like that, we talked about virtue in the eyes of Aristotle, which basically talks about there's different virtues that you can have. So like courage and how if you have more courage, you can have like an excess of courage and that's like recklessness and you can have a deficit in courage and it's, you know, your cowardice. And so we kind of went through virtue by the eyes of Aristotle and he talked about how each person has their own like proper functioning. You have to like find that, they call it the golden mean, but within yourself, it's not something that's like standardized for everybody. And I loved teaching that. And I thought it was something that was like good, but not particularly like out of, you know, LDS scripture. And so I think a teaching role would be helpful because you can take different perspectives and things and add it in there and still make it a positive experience. And I think mixing the two, like I said, there's tons of good in the church. There's also tons of good in other places and other spots outside of our church. And I think it's important to incorporate a wider majority of things. So that way we can better, like you said, the more that we understand of other people and other cultures and other ideas, the more we can either respect it or adopt it into our own life. And so I think that was important. And so I would love maybe like a teaching role. I love that. I love your answer to that, Jordan. I've never asked that question on a podcast before. And I love your answer to that. And I think of the body of Christ and how to be the body of Christ that Paul talks about in 12th Corinthians, I think it's 12th Corinthians, we need our LGBTQ members and we need to do a better job to help them feel like they belong. And I think part of belonging is your gifts are put to work to help us be a better people. And so it's not just me. I mean, I think you help. it helps you belong if I am kind to you and make you feel welcome. But I think you really belong if you are put to work to help us be better. Yeah. And you find purpose um, within our congregation to serve and actually see that you can contribute in unique ways that perhaps other people can't. And I just recognize that part in most congregations 
is not happening right now because they're LGBTQ members. I don't want to make blanket statements like that, but we lose so many of them that we're worse off and we just have work to do. Are you okay with that before we move on? Yeah. Talk about, um, I want to talk about this website that you're working on. We're recording this podcast in March. Probably this podcast will be released in March of 2020. And towards the end of the year, you're launching a website that you're working on before we went live. Jordan, walk me through the demo. It's a great site. So needed. And this guy is a really talented guy. This is a labor of love um, with, from a tremendously skilled 22-year-old recognizing there's a need in the community in Utah and putting together a resource center. So talk first introduce the website address. We'll okay. talk about that a few times so people can get that in their minds. So the web address is lgbtqut.com. So I wanted it to... And the UT stands for? Utah, yeah. So I want it to be something that was very simple for people to remember. And I also wanted the website to be something personalized and localized. So that way people could find something that helped them. And I felt like there was a particular need in Utah for a website like this. And basically what it is, is it compiles resources in one spot so people can find them in a very easy and intuitive and personalized way so they can find something that helps them the most. Uh, I'm just going to ask you about features, sections of the websites we went through. Talk about the calendaring. This is something, the calendar, this is something I've never seen done before. Talk about the calendar. So I realized that there was tons, well, obviously there's tons of resources here in Utah. People just don't know about them. There's sort of this lack of accessibility to information. Either you're hearing it by word of mouth. And for that, you have to know someone who knows the resource or you're Google searching it and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this resource something that I'm interested in? Or some people don't even know what they're looking for. And so um, that's kind of like the premise of the website to help fix those issues. One of the things that I had uh, an experience with was when Encircle had a barbecue and I didn't find out about it until like the week after. I was like, oh, dang it, I missed this cool opportunity to go to something. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was some sort of centralized calendar that could just populate information about LGBTQ resources? And so I've been working on integrating a calendar that will just import information from like Facebook events, as well as some of these organizations have their own Google calendar that you can like transfer records over to, to a different calendar. And so just kind of having this larger calendar where someone can say, okay, I'm not feeling great or heaven forbid I'm feeling suicidal or I'm just, I just want to connect with people who are like me. What can I do today, this weekend, next weekend? And then when they find something, they can find out more information about that resource that's hosting it really easily so they can decide, okay, is this something that connects with me and my journey or is there another event? I just barely started this and probably added like five different organization things in there. And there was one day and it had like 12 events in that one day. Wow. And I'm just like, there's so many things you can go to from tons of different resources that people just don't know about. And so it was basically every day of the week, there was something you could go to if you wanted to. And so it's just really great to see that there's so many resources. But like I said, it's so difficult to find them. And that's what I want to solve is be able to make it very easily accessible, intuitive and personalized for people so they can find what they need. And not only what like helps, because there's a lot of organizations that help, but what helps them the most, what's personalized to them and their story and their journey. 
And that may lead into the com- compatibility um, quiz section. Yeah. Talk about that. That was very unique. So what I've been working on is a way that people can, originally I thought of sort of like Amazon sliders. So if you go on Amazon, you can kind of like filter results. And I was like, oh, we can have like a slider for religious prominence and a slider for um, activity level. Like, oh, do you want something that's like quarterly or weekly or, and have these sliders. And I was like, there's so many different aspects that it's just going to look, it's going to look messy. It's not going to be very intuitive to try to figure things out. And I said, what's a better way that we can do something similar to that? And so I developed a compatibility quiz and how it's set up right now, I can go about 25 questions deep before rendering a result. And what it'll do is it'll ask you a series of questions to kind of figure out where you're at. So it'll say, are you an LGBTQ individual? Are you an ecclesiastical leader? Are you an ally? And then go from there and say, okay, well, if you're an LGBTQ individual, are you, are you gay? Are you lesbian? Are you bisexual? Are you asexual? Are you transgender? And then go farther into that. You know, are you in a mixed orientation marriage? Are you um, wanting to, are you just barely socially trans- transitioning? Like if you're um, transgender, are you, you know, it goes farther and then it'll populate resources based on people's responses. So it'll allow them to be able to find something very specific for them and what they need so it can better help them and get faster results in community quicker. I love that. I mean, it's very creative. And this is part of one of your gifts, Jordan, is bringing your creativity to life and your understanding of this space. And I like the crisis section. Do you want to talk with to our listeners about the crisis section you're building out, yeah. why that's important. So I've noticed that there's a issue with LGBTQ suicide here in the state. And it's been recognized by counselors, by even state officials and le- le- people in the legislature. There's sort of this crisis. And I think that there, again, there's a lot of resources to help you, but people don't know about them. And so I want to have one spot where there's lots of different crisis resources. And right now it has a way where it populates certain applications that could be used. And then it has a list of numbers that you can call. Um, one of the applications that I just recently found out about that I was blown away with was, it's called My3. And it allows you to create a crisis plan before. So when you're in a good headspace, it allows you to write, okay, what are my reasons to live? Who am I going to contact in case of this? What are different ways that I can help um, keep myself afloat? And, you know, different things that it makes you create a crisis plan. And then it gives you options for three people that you can contact. So that's the my three. So three people that'll help you out of crisis. And then it also gives you other resources. It has resources from people who, um, for like veterans, it has information for LGBTQ individuals. And so the website will have sort of other services like that, as well as a contact list. And so the contact list right now has one specific for LGBTQ individuals. It has sort of other crisis lines. It has a, um, the self-abuse finally ends line, which is like a a self-harming um, crisis line they have I have on there um, the national runaway hotline so if people are you know needing to run away etc there's that information there what I found extraordinary is there's actually a lot of 
counties in Utah that have their own dedicated crisis lines. It's like Davis County has one. Utah County has their own crisis line. Box Elder County has a crisis line. And so they're very specific and localized for you. Um, So I want to get all that data on there as well as there's also something if you're not in direct crisis, the University of Utah has a line for Utah residents that's called the warm line. And it's for people who are looking for encouragement and engagement and support, but they may not be in crisis right now. And so they also have that. And that's for people. Um, it has a peer specialist caller. And so they take calls and a peer will talk with you anywhere from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. And I just think that's wonderful that we have resources like that here in the state. But like I said, I had no idea about it until I started doing this project. And so I want to sort of project and amplify these other resources and how people find stuff that helps them. This is so needed. Have have you had LGBTQ friends die by suicide? I have known people who've been affected by it. Um, There was someone in my high school who died by suicide who was LGBTQ. Um, I ended up going to a vigil. I didn't know him super well, but I was aware of him. And um, we've been affected by suicide in my family. Um, we've had an uncle who died by suicide and a cousin of mine who also died by suicide. And so it's a personal topic to me. They weren't LGBTQ, but it was still a very, obviously a very personal topic to me as well. But I am very much someone who empathizes with people. and so I will like absorb people's energies. And so when there is that um, effect from suicide that washes over other friends, I tend to also have those sort of mourning feelings as well. And so it is a very personal topic. Um, Not only do I, have I had that experience in the family, but the LGBTQ community I connect with and love so much that I know that it's an issue. And that's another reason why I want to help combat that. It's great. It's really needed. And I, um, my favorite theory, I'll just share with our listeners, a man named Joyner, J-O-I-N-E-R, Theory of Suicide. And he kind of talks about three circles that intersect. One is thwarted belongingness, and that's sort of I am alone. Um, and that's a real feeling that LGBTQ people have is lack of belonging and powerless to change it. I like his term thwarted belongingness. I am alone, and that could be a family. It could be a church community. The next circle is perceived burdenness. I am a burden. And and some LGBTQ people think, well, I'm messing up my eternal family. My existence as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint ruins my eternal family, my greater family. So they're actually better off. Um, They falsely conclude this. They're better. I'm better off. Everybody else is better off with me not being here. And the third one is just kind of a increased capability for suicide. It's just a, f- a feeling I'm not afraid to die. And so were those, I like that, you know, some people dismiss suicide and say it's a altitude thing or this or that. But I just think that's can maybe keeps us emotionally safe um, if we don't. But if we fully sort of try to step in the space of understanding why an LGBTQ person in particular feels suicidal, that helps me understand. So what do I do is I will help people to thwart belongingness. I try to create a feeling of belonging that you're needed, you're welcome, you're part of a feeling that I'm a burden is not to, you know, if somebody feels that, to dismiss that. And then to keep people safe by 
you know, not having guns around, for example, or not having ways that people could spontaneously choose to die by suicide. It's a real thing. And it's, it's a, you know, I don't have clinical expertise in that area, but we've, if our listeners want to listen to a couple podcasts that we've done, Scott Brethwaite, a professor at BYU, talks about this, and Jeff Case, I'm also a professor at BYU who is gay. He's an adjunct professor, I believe, or an assistant professor. He talks about this. So you could Google, you could scroll down or just type in Richard Osler, Jeff Case, or Richard Osler, Scott Brethwaite into your web browser, and you could learn more about those, some of the things that Jordan's sharing with us so that we can understand um, the complexity of some people's situation because we want everybody to stay in their body. <laughs> um everybody's going to be better off if you're here. It's a lie to think everybody's going to be better off if you leave. And some describe it as a tunnel with no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's pretty um, difficult space to be in if that's how you feel. And I just invite those people to stay another day. Um, That next day may not get better. I can't promise that just staying another day gets better, but I can really promise that it does eventually get better especially as you're honest with how you feel you reach out to people. Um, you get, you know, you um, go to a good therapist. Anything else you want to share about suicide, Jordan, before we move on? I don't think so right okay. now. It's really needed what you're doing, and uh, there are a lot of resources, so I love the way you're trying to um, gather those resources so people can go to your website. Once again, the name of Jordan's website that's coming online by the end of the year is LGBTQUT. Dot com, and I encourage our listeners to bookmark that. You, it's it's there right now. It's just not live, so you can kind of track it throughout the year and be aware when it comes up live. Um, talk about the Utah Hearth for a minute. You're on the executive committee of that group. Just introduce Utah Hearth to our listeners if they're not aware of it. So the Utah Hearth is a community group that invites LGBTQ-related speakers to come and talk it has a lot of, there's a lot of allies that come. Um, There are LGBTQ individuals that come as well. And we've had um, George and Allison Doyson on there. We've had Barbara and Steve Young also there as well. So we've had a a couple of really good speakers. Um, This last month we had Peggy Fletcher Stack. She's a religion writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. And so that was really cool to hear her perspective. She's seen a lot and written a lot of articles about LGBTQ issues in the church. And so that was really kind of an interesting perspective. She said, I'm not going to hear, I'm not here to talk about my religion. I'm not here to talk about what I think on these policies. I'm here to talk as a reporter reporting on the issues. And so it was a very objective and sort of critical, but warm discussion. And I appreciated it. We're going to have Tom Christofferson. Um, coming up next month, and then I'll actually be speaking in June as well. But. You're speaking in June, Jordan. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's a really great organization. I really like it. It's usually held on the first Sunday of the month in holiday. Um, and so we have a Facebook group online that you can um, request information from, and then we can add you into that, and then that we post all the information there. And that Facebook group is just the Utah Hearth. Yeah. So if you go into Facebook and just search the Utah Hearth, those three words, you can be added to that group. Tell our listeners who the other members of the executive committee are. Um, we have a couple of 
members. Like it's kind of, it's still kind of growing. We've it's been kind here of, yeah, for about a new group. Yeah. We've been about around for about a year or so, at least here in Utah. So the hearth actually started in the Bay area. Um, and that's been going for several, several years, but some of the people from that original group from, moved from California, came here to Utah and started the Utah hearth. And so some of the founding members, some of the people who have really put a lot of effort into this is uh, Andy Hutchings and Michelle She's, Fogg. Those yeah. two women are awesome. Yes, they are phenomenal. And so I've worked a lot with them um, in this role. And they're one of the people, they're some of the people who are kind of over it and Andy's like our chairperson and she's phenomenal and I love her. And so those are some of the people who are, I've worked with in that organization. You're doing great work. All three of you, um, Jordan, Andrea, or Andy, as yeah. you call her and Michelle. So thank you for what you're doing. And I love, I've been to the hearth down in California at the wise home is the home I went to. And um, I'm glad that that exists in Utah, but that's just another resource here that will be part of your website so that people know how to find these different resources in the meetings and the speakers and so they get accurate information to share. We're kind of coming to the end of the podcast. Are there anything else you want to share that we haven't gotten to, Jordan? I think I just want to talk a little bit just to the community itself and just say, Everyone that I've met in this community is very strong and resilient and just such wonderful people. Um, there's a lot of st stress and weight and crazy feelings and ups and downs that you experience as an LGBTQ person and um, in particular an LGBTQ person here in Utah. And so I just want to remind people that their lives are important, that they're journey is real and authentic no matter where it turns there's not there's not a set no matter what option or road you choose your actions are validated because this is your life and this is your experience i can't experience your life for you um, and sort of what I mean by that is that I might have chose something because of what I've experienced, but you have a completely different set of experiences that lead you to make your decisions. And I don't think anyone can shame that, can say, oh, well, you should be doing this because of this, because they've lived a separate life. And so I think it's just being patient with yourself, patient with those around you. And really just taking life one step at a time and finding that self-acceptance and that self-love to say, I'm worth it and I belong here and I'm going to be okay. I love that. We'll just conclude with that. Jordan's thoughts and giving hope and vision for LGBTQ people that are listening you're doing a lot of that, Jordan. You'll continue to do a lot of that. So you have a great life ahead of you. You're a gifted man with so many wonderful attributes that come together to form you and your unique life mission. And so we'll sign off. Thank you, Jordan Jackson. And this is Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.